0: How many of you can say, I'm a debtor to the Holy Spirit? You know, we're a debtor to Christ because He died for us, rose from the dead. Yet, He sent the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but the Holy Spirit got me behind this pulpit. Holy Spirit transformed my life. When He fell on me in power, I was absolutely revolutionized, absolutely changed, transformed, motivated, moved, set on fire. And so today I want you to expect the Spirit of God to touch you in this service. Matter of fact, when when my message is done, we're going to stand we're going to lift our hands and we're going to worship. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit at that time to fill you in a way you've never been filled before. And we're going to believe God for a great filling of the Holy Spirit and empowering. But let's look at what Jesus said, John 14 Verses 16 and 17, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Say with me, I need a counselor. The Spirit of truth is what Jesus called him. The world cannot accept him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you after Pentecost. Father, thank you for the word. I pray that you'll anoint me, Lord, to preach this word, to communicate it in a way that it makes sense, that it resonates, that understanding is brought to the people. And I pray you will give all of us ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit is saying to us today about himself. And Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to my heart. Speak to my heart and change me and fill me like I've never been filled before, afresh and anew, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that was a dangerous prayer. God's going to answer it. Amen. It's good to see all of you here in this red hot, blistering summer. What are they called the dog days of summer? Well, they're here, but thank God we have air conditioning. Yes. Amen. But now we're going to see today that the Holy Spirit is not a thing or an it or some kind of a force that moves uh, randomly and um, you can't really know him. Uh, he, he's sort of untouchable. In, in terms of knowing him like we know Jesus or like we know God. But I'm going to call this today, the Holy Spirit is not an it. Of all the members of the Godhead, I believe the Holy Spirit is the least understood. When I say to you, do you understand God the Father? A lot of you say, oh, yeah, I understand God the Father. He loved the world so much. He gave his only son. He created everything. Yeah, I, I got gotcha you on God. And then if I say, what about Jesus? Oh, I know even more about Jesus. If I say, tell me all you know about the Holy Spirit. Meh because we don't really understand what the Bible tells us about the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you, I'm a debtor to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gets me up here. I don't think, I can't imagine a preacher who made that choice as a career choice. I can't imagine being a pastor as a career choice. If if, if that's your choice, God be with you. We need God to choose us and God to anoint us and God to lead us. And every minister needs the Holy Spirit like he needs oxygen. And you, as God's people, need the Holy Spirit like you need oxygen. Matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is the oxygen of the soul, His presence. So we're going to see today that He's a real person with all the qualities. Of a real person. I'm going to be sharing several Bible verses with you because I get all of my, here's a big word, pneumatology, which is your study of the Holy Spirit. I get it from the Bible. The Bible tells us all kinds of things about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, The world cannot accept him. Now, I want you to notice all the personal pronouns he uses to describe the Holy Spirit. He says, The world cannot accept him. It doesn't see him or know him. But you know, him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Five times in one verse, he uses five personal pronouns to describe a person, the Holy Spirit. You, you, you can't call a thing a he or a him. You use personal pronouns to describe people. Jesus used it. He established that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person. He's in this room. He's in you. He's a person. Just because you can't see him doesn't make him real. We see the wind blow all the time. You can't see it, but you see what it does. And I'm looking at a bunch of people that the Holy Spirit has blown on, and and you're here because of that. And some of you are here because you want more of him, and you're hungry for him, and you're seeking some answers, and you know they are found in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is here to lead you to him. Amen. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And since we clearly understand the first two, the Father and the Son, as persons, then certainly why would we not consider the Holy Spirit to be a person, not a thing, not an it, not the force, but a person? When we baptize people in water, we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son." And the Holy Spirit, buried with him by baptism into his death, that is Jesus, raised to walk in the newness of life. We, we baptize you in the name of all three because they are three in one, yet they have three distinct personalities. Amen. They are three in one but have three distinct personalities. Don't ask me to explain it. I receive it by faith. Amen. When God created the universe, the whole Godhead was involved. For, the, for, for, for We see God the Father saying in Genesis, let us make man in our image. There's the plural. He's using a plural to describe himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. When it came to making you and me, he didn't just say let there be. He said this is going to take all three of us. And he says let us make man in our image, all three spoken of there, the Trinity. I really think that because of the way the Holy Spirit is described, for instance, at the Day of Pentecost, we we, we don't see Him as a person because the Bible says th- they were all up there praying, 120 of them, and it says suddenly there was a sound. It was a true audio sound, like sound started coming through these speakers, but there weren't any speakers. There was a sound, and it was the sound of a rushing mighty wind, and it says this sound filled the whole house where they were sitting, and suddenly they also had a vision, a picture, so there was an audio sound and a visual sound or a visual sight, and it was tongues of fire over all of their heads who had been in prayer waiting for the Holy Spirit. So he manifested as a wind, and he manifested as flames of fire. Now... We, we see that and we go, well, because he was like a wind, then he is kind of like a force and, and we don't tend to then visualize him as a person but as, as a wind, as something you really can't grasp and something that uh, you can't know like the human person of Jesus Christ. Even Jesus compared the Holy Spirit to the wind. He told Nicodemus by night, he said, Nicodemus, let me explain it to you. Let me explain the Holy Spirit to you and the way he operates. The wind blows wherever it pleases, Nicodemus. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everybody born of the Spirit. We read that, and we say, "Well, right there, even Jesus described the Holy Spirit as a wind." But all he was describing is the way the Holy Ghost moving is unpredictable. That's what he was saying. He's saying you don't know when the wind is going to blow. All of a sudden, it blows. And you don't know where it came from or where it's going. Those of us that were around in the 70s experienced what's called the Jesus movement. And all of a sudden, in the late 60s and early 70s, those of you that weren't there, let me describe it to you. It was an actual sovereign move of God. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit blew across America. And millions of hippies and druggies and down-and-outers and 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 up-and-outers and all kinds of people got saved and brought into the Lord Jesus Christ and were baptized in the Holy Ghost and empowered by Him and filled by Him and changed by Him. And and I've been around preachers who, who are preachers because of that time period, like me. And we have sat there and said, man, who prayed? Who fasted? Who interceded? That all of a sudden there was this move of God that swept the land. And the answer is, you don't know where He comes from. You don't know where he's going. So it is with the moving of the Holy Spirit. Some of you today are going to have that wind of God touch you in this service. He's going to blow your way. You're going to sense his presence. You're going to be filled with him. He is a filling spirit and empowering spirit, but he's a person. He's a person. And we need to understand the personhood of the Holy Ghost. And so I want to share with you some of the attributes of the Holy Spirit that show us that He's a person so that we can get some good pneumatology today. Everybody say pneumatology. Now go out and tell the waitress that at the restaurant and impress her with a great big word, all right? I learned all about pneumatology today at (laughs) Turning Point. Pneumatology. Let's get a a little bit of pneumatology. First of all, are you ready? The Bible says the Holy Spirit, like a person, has a mind. He thinks, he strategizes, he has a mind. Romans 8, 27, listen to this. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Did you catch that? The Holy Spirit has a mind and that mind has knowledge and according to that knowledge, he intercedes for you knowledgeably knowing you knowing your struggles knowing your temptations knowing your pains knowing your hurts knowing the direction of your life knowing your weaknesses he intercedes for you with knowledge because he has a mind first corinthians 2 9 says no eye has seen no ear has heard no mind has conceived what god has prepared for those who love him But God has revealed it to us how, read it with me, by His Spirit, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? Now watch this. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Spirit has a mind, and as a spirit with a mind, a person with a mind, he knows the very thoughts of God. He has a knowledge of the thoughts of God, and he shares with you and me God's purpose for us because he knows God's mind. The Holy Spirit has a mind. God has a plan for everybody in this room. You did not haphazardly get saved. You didn't wake up one day and because of the brilliance of your high IQ decide you were going to go find Jesus. But the Holy Spirit led you to Jesus. No man comes to me except the Spirit draws him. And the Spirit drew you. And the Spirit of God, when He drew you and you repented and you came to Christ, the Spirit came to live inside of you and He knew when He came to live inside of you God's plan for you. He knew the plan for you as an individual. And so then he began to pray. The Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us, intercedes for us, believers in harmony with God's own will. He's praying for Jeff. He's praying for Jim. He's praying for Sue. He's praying for you. He's praying for all of you according to God's will for you. Isn't that beautiful and that powerful? Isn't that wonderful to know that even when we feel like, man, I just, I just can't seem to work up prayer like I need to, you can know that even in your weakness, the Spirit of God is praying for you, crying out for you with knowledge according to God's plan for you. Now... Could the Spirit pray for us if He wasn't a person with a mind possessing knowledge of God's purpose? No way. He couldn't do it. So like a person, the Holy Spirit has a mind. But you know what? Secondly, the Holy Spirit has a will. He has a will. Now I want you to look at something. This is very powerful. Paul told the Corinthian church, every believer, if you're a believer, raise your hand. If you've been born again, raise your hand high and give it a wave. Are you thankful for the grace of God? Now, now watch this. Watch this. Says, he says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us, those who have been born again, so that we can help each other. Now, that's telling us something very important. When you and I got saved, the Holy Spirit immediately himself gave us a gift. Every, there's not a born-again person in here that doesn't have a spiritual gift. You may not feel like you've got a gift. You may not feel gifted, but you are gifted and you are a gift because he says he gave you the gift A gift so that you could gift somebody else with your gift. Bless somebody else with your blessing. You have been gifted so that you can bless others. So you can help others. And then he lists the the various gifts. He said there's the word of wisdom. There's the word of knowledge. Special faith. The gift of healing. Working of miracles. Gift of prophecy. Discerning of spirits. Gift of tongues. And the gift to interpret tongues. And he goes through this list. But then watch how he closes out the list. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts, distributing to each one individually as he wills. As he wills. When the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, he knew who you were, he knew your DNA, he knew your makeup, he knew your weaknesses, he knew your strengths, and according to his will... He gifted you. He imparted a gift into you. So I want us to all say together, I'm gifted. I'm gifted. Let's say it like we mean it, I'm gifted. I'm gifted. Do you see the Spirit has a will? Distributing to each one individually as He wills. When God called me to preach, I was fresh out of juvenile detention center. i have been in all kinds of trouble. And I would have been the last, the least among the least. You would have never picked me to be a preacher ever. If you had lined up 100 people, you would have never said that one. I might have been number 100, but you would have never picked me, and I would have never picked me. My parents would never have picked me. <laughs> but let me tell you something. The Holy Ghost had another thing in store. The Holy Ghost picked me, and he said, he, and, he, and he put in me. It was the Holy Ghost who put in me the preacher's fire. I'm going to tell you, there's a fire if you're called to preach. That's why I say it's not a career choice. You don't intellectually decide, well, I'm going into ministry. Ministry is not a career choice. It is a God choice. And, And listen, watch this. When he calls you to preach, he puts in you an inescapable, irretrievable, undeniable fire to preach the Word of God. That didn't come from Jeff Wickwire. That consuming fire to preach the Word of God came from the Holy Spirit. He put it in me. And whatever spiritual gift you possess, it was the Spirit's will. It was His choosing. He looked you over. He knew you, and He said, I'm going to impart this gift into this child of God. And He gifted you. So like a person, the Holy Spirit has a mind, and the Holy Spirit has a will. He willed to bless you. Are you glad He willed to gift you? Amen. Now, the third thing is the Holy Spirit has power. goes without saying. But think about it. We human beings have been given power. We've been given the strength to exert ourselves and do things. We have a, it's called the, the power of life, the strength of life. As your days, so shall your strength be. And likewise, Jesus told the disciples just before ascending back to the Father, He said, don't you dare go out and try to preach until... I send the Holy Spirit upon you. And he said, I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Did you know that God doesn't look down and see a church that's barely eking by and holding on and kind of hiding in the shadows until he comes again? No, 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 no. God did not envision envision a church that way. God envisioned a church that had been redeemed by His Son's blood, that had been filled with the power of His very Spirit, the same Spirit that hovered over the face of the deep in the beginning of creation now lives in you, and He gives power. Everybody say power. Power. The Greek word is dunamis. We get three English words from that one, dynamic, dynamo, dynamite, suggesting that the Holy Spirit's power is explosive, It is readable, it is detectable, it is visual, it's something that registers. It is power, dynamo, dynamic, dynamite, power. It's the greatest power in all the earth. It's more powerful than a nuclear bomb. It's more powerful than an army. It's more powerful than the will of men. It's more powerful than all the forces of hell. You cannot stand against the very power of God he's gifted his church with. The gates of hell will not prevail against an empowered church. Thank God for the power of God. May the God of hope, Paul said, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. How many want to overflow with hope? How would you like to just burst with hope? Amen? Okay, listen to what it says. That you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Even overflowing hope. That's why Christians can go through hell and back and yet they have peace when everybody else is falling apart. That's why the believer can have hope when there is no hope. That's why the believer is left standing when everybody else falls. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Amen. Charles Spurgeon wrote It's self evident that wherever you find understanding, will, and power, the attributes of God, or the attributes of the Holy Spirit, wherever you find understanding, will, and power, you have to find existence. It can't be a mere attribute. It cannot be a metaphor. It cannot be a personified influence. It must be a person. There's a person living inside of you and me. He has a mind. He has a will. He possesses power. And not only that, but he commits acts and deeds like a person. Today, you woke up. You remember that it was church day and you said hallelujah. You didn't say oh me. You said amen. And you said with the psalmist uh, that you were excited about going to the house of God. I was filled with joy when they said, let's go to the house of God. And you got up, you got dressed, you got in your car, you came here, you committed acts and deeds. You, because you're alive, you committed acts and deeds. The Holy Spirit commits acts and deeds like a person. In the first chapter of Genesis, before anything was created, we find the Holy Spirit mentioned. You know, I'm about to read Genesis 1 and 1 through 2. If you accept Genesis 1, 1 through 2, you cannot go with evolution. Because Genesis 1, 1 and 2 tell us right off the bat, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So don't let evolution make a monkey out of you. You know, seriously. If I were uh, an atheist, let's just say I was an atheist, and I looked at all around me, at what, what is around me, the trees, the birds, the cre- all that is, the, the amazing creation. If I looked at it, and I looked at the, just the, the human eyeball, and I looked at it, and its complexity, and the way it has all come together so that I can see you and you can see me, and it responds to light and the pupil dilates and so on and so forth. If I looked at just that, I couldn't stay an atheist for long. I'd have to at least go up a step and go to agnosticism where you're just not sure. But I could not say definitively there is no God if I looked at things with intellectual honesty because evolution doesn't make sense. Intellectually, it doesn't make sense. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. Now watch this. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The word hover means moving. The Holy Spirit was on the move at the dawn of the world. The Holy Spirit was on the move. He was moving. He was acting. He was committing deeds. Genesis is telling us right here, he's, it's describing the moving and the acting of the Holy Spirit who was intimately involved in the creation of all things, We see, hear, taste, touch, and smell the vast universe, the world we live in, and everything within it. One writer says, The world was once a mass of chaotic matter, There was no order. It was like the valley of darkness and the shadow of death. But God, the Holy Spirit, spread His wings over it. He sowed the seeds of life in it. The germs from which all creatures sprang to life were implanted by Him. He infused the earth so that it became capable of life. The mighty Holy Spirit of God that was hovering over the face of the deep has been hovering in here today and lives inside of you, every child of God, that mighty spirit involved in creation. So when God created the universe, all three members of the Godhead were intimately and intricately and integrally involved. God is the one who said, for instance, let there be, and the first thing was light. But John tells us that all that came to be flowed through Jesus. He says, He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. I'm going to read that again. All things were made through Jesus. And without Him, say it with me, everybody, nothing was made that was made. Everything flowed through the fingertips of Jesus. So we have God the Father saying, let there be light. Then we have creation flowing through. Jesus. But then, Moses tells us in Genesis, the Holy Spirit was also moving across the face of the deep at the moment of creation. So I think creation went down like this. I think God spoke it. Let there be. Jesus amended, it. Amen. And the Spirit of God brought it forth. Let there be. Amen. And the Holy Spirit moved. And I believe they operate the same way today. The Father says, let it be. The Son says, "Amen." all the promises of God are yea and amen through Jesus Christ. So he amens every promise. So God the Father spoke the promise, the Son amens the promise, and the Holy Spirit releases the promise. So the Holy Spirit has understanding, he has a mind. The Holy Spirit has a will. The Holy Spirit has power. And the Holy Spirit commits acts and deeds, just like a person, but he also guides and counsels and instructs, just like a person. In the book of Acts, they're about to release the first missionary journey. They've been fasting and praying. And and they've got they've got a bunch of candidates there. And it says suddenly the Spirit spoke. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to who, everybody? Me. That's the Spirit talking. Separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Wow. A force doesn't say separate them to me, and it doesn't say I have called them. Only a person says that. And notice he didn't say separate Barnabas and Saul for ministry. He said separate them to me for the work I have called them to. The Holy Spirit was literally the third party of the missionary journey. It was two men went out, but it wasn't just two persons that went out. It was three. And any real ministry, true ministry, ministry of God, always involves the third person of the Trinity with it and upon it and guiding it and using it and leading it and anointing it. So that we see they went out on the first missionary journey. They start to go into one area to preach, and it says the Holy Ghost said, Don't go there, the counselor. They started to go somewhere else, and the Holy Ghost said, Don't go there. The counselor spoke. Here they are, Saul and Barnabas, looking for God's will, wanting to preach the gospel, but the third person, that person of the Holy Ghost, that called them and anointed them and sent them, went with them, and was guiding them, talking to them, leading them, every step of the way, like a person would. So important. Then I see one more powerful truth that reveals the Holy Spirit to be a person. He has emotions just like a person. Did you know the Bible says you can grieve the Holy Spirit? Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed, As we talked about last week, signed, sealed, and delivered, you are sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve. That word grieve means this. It means to sadden or it means to cause pain. We can literally sadden or cause pain to the Holy Spirit. He has the emotion of feeling grieved like a person has. I was talking to somebody just recently, and I I said something. And I don't even remember what it was. And to me, it didn't seem anything that, you know, should raise any flags. But as soon as I said it, I sensed that it had grieved the Holy Spirit. Because all of a sudden, I felt a check. You shouldn't have said that. And I felt that tightness in me, and I felt that check. Jeff, you shouldn't have said that. That wasn't a good thing for you to say. And so... Quickly, I said, Lord, forgive me. I didn't mean to say anything that would grieve you. I pray all the time this prayer. I say, Father, forgive me for every thought, every word, every action, and every attitude that has grieved you. Because that's only four things we can do. Think something wrong, say something wrong, do something wrong, cop an attitude that's wrong. And and by the way, after this series, I'm going to talk about the power of attitude. Oh, you better get ready for this one. Because <laughs> I'm going to talk to you about how your attitude will make you or break you. I'm going to talk to you about the magnitude of attitude, but don't let me get ahead of myself. So the Holy Spirit checked me because he's there with me as a person. I will send you another helper, the comforter, the Paraklatas, who will stand beside you as a person, and strengthen you, and hold up your arms, and guide you, and teach you, and illuminate you. And so he checked me, and I I had grieved him. And we grieve him by either our words, or our thoughts, or our actions, or our attitudes. You can have an attitude that grieves God. You can have thoughts that you know grieve God. And we need to keep those under the blood. And he says, work at, strive to not grieve the Holy Spirit, because he's a person. He can be grieved. We can sadden Him. We can pain Him. That's why it's so important that in your home you you not say things that would grieve the Holy Spirit. Hey, listen, if we need Him anywhere, we need Him first and foremost in our homes. And so we don't want to say anything that grieves the Holy Spirit. We don't want to treat one another badly because that grieves the Holy Spirit. And, And, you know, a lot of people that believe they're depressed, they're not really depressed. They've grieved the Holy Spirit. And and when you're a child of God, that makes you feel down, because He's a part of you. Amen. Amen. And so when we bless with our mouth, and when we pray, and when we treat others in love, the Holy Spirit is edified and blessed and fills where we are. Amen. Amen. Don't shout me down on that one. He can be resisted. He can be opposed like a person is opposed. When Stephen was preaching his great message before he was martyred, he said, you stiff-necked people. Boy, wasn't he a good preacher? Wasn't he out to win church members? He looked at all these Pharisees and Sadducees, and he said, you stiff-necked people. Uh, Can I translate that for you, the revised Wickwire version? You stubborn jerks. (laughs) You fools. He says, with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. That means oppose. And the Holy Spirit can be lied to. And he can be offended by being lied to. Don't you hate it when somebody lies to you and you know they've lied to you? Don't look at me, don't look at me when you've lied to me. Or when they have lied, you want to say, look at me. Look me right in the eye and say that again. Because a liar will, will dodge you. But doesn't it make you mad when somebody lies to you? You don't think enough of me to tell me the truth? I, I, I hate it when somebody lies. Just, just bald-faced lies. That's why. Well, let me stop. But, but there, there, were two, there was a couple in the New Testament that lied. And look what Peter said. He said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? And he dropped dead. Aren't you glad God doesn't kill liars in church anymore? We we wouldn't have any churches if he killed all liars. There'd be no mega churches. There'd be no churches. There'd be grease spots out there, and there'd be a grease spot up here. He did that to give us the fear of the Lord. And you know what I like? It says, after this couple dropped dead, it says, nobody dared join the church after that. That killed church membership. Boy, if you get in there and you lie, you drop dead. But you can lie to him, and and he can feel offended by the lie, just like a person. Wow. He loves like a person. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He's a lover. He loves like a person. He loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Aren't you glad for the love of the Holy Spirit? Isn't that what changed you? Isn't that what really changed you? The love of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? I'm going to close with this. The Holy Spirit can feel good about something. Can you believe that? The Holy Spirit can feel good about something. When the apostles were seeking wisdom for some local church issues, they settled with what they sensed the Holy Spirit had agreed with. It says in Acts 15, 28, For it seemed good. Everybody say, Seemed good. good. I want you to catch this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. A force can't say, Well, that feels good to me. Or an it can't say, Well, that seems good to me. Only a person can say, That seems good to me. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Now that's the way you make a decision, saints of God. You make a decision, not based on your own emotions, you pray about everything. And then you make a decision based on what seems good to the Holy Spirit. If it doesn't seem good to the Holy Spirit, don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. It will turn and bite you in the end. It says, it seems good to the Holy Spirit. And, And notice, they knew as children of God what the Holy Spirit could put his peace on, and what he could not. And can I convince you today, persuade you today to understand that the smallest decision in your life he's concerned about, and he will give you a piece about it one way or the other, he will, he will say, that seems good to me, or that does not seem good to me. So it Before you get married, say, God, is this person your will? And only go with it if it seems good to the Holy Spirit. Where you live, where you work, who you run with, where you go to church, does it seem good to the Holy Spirit? As God's child, you will know it because He'll give you His peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. So stand together, would you? And. We're going to pray together. And in closing, I want to show you a verse that Paul gave to the Corinthians, his benediction at the end of 2 Corinthians. I want you to listen. This is a verse that's haunted me in a good way many times. He says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God. Here's the Trinity in one verse. The grace of Jesus, the love of God. And look what he says, And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So there are your names of three members of the Godhead. But notice how he he couches the Holy Spirit. He says, koinonia. May the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You know what that means, church? We have a relationship. He's in us and with us, and he fellowships with us. That's how Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away if i go away i'm going to send the holy spirit and he can spend he can pour out my love on the entire world he's not limited like i was limited as a human and he will take my place and as i walked with my disciples talked with my disciples taught my disciples died for my disciples instructed my disciples The Holy Spirit will do the same with you. May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. When we obey His initial promptings, when we walk in His peace, when we fill our inner man with the Word of God each and every day, our relationship with the Holy Spirit grows. So can we just lift our hands to the Lord right now? Lord, we just thank you for sending the third person of the Trinity of God, the person of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, that he's here right now. And every child of God in this room, he lives in their hearts. He's with us. And, Father, we want to be filled with that Spirit we want to walk in that Spirit. We want a fellowship in koinonia fellowship with that Spirit. We don't want to grieve Him, but we want to bless Him. We want to submit to His guidance and to His literal control over our beings. Holy Spirit. If there is anything in your life that's been grieving the Holy Spirit, right now you can just say, Lord, forgive me for grieving the person of the Spirit. And clear it out of the way so He can fill you right now. Now, Lord, I pray over this congregation that you will fill us in a fresh way, in a mighty way, in a powerful way. Lord, we confess our need to you. We confess our dire need to you. We cannot do this apart from you. We can't walk in this demon-infested world apart from your power and your presence. Lord, fall on us. Lord, fall on us. Fall on this congregation. Fall on this people. And Lord, empower us with your Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit. Lord, to overflowing abundance, fill us, O God. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we receive your fullness. We receive your power, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And Lord, we thank you that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit will raise up a standard against him, and he does it by falling on the people of God and empowering the people of God. And we receive that power today, Lord, in Jesus' name.